Hey guys, welcome to the View from the Front podcast. You know what? You probably should insert some really hip, really cool music here because we don't have any really hip, really cool music on this podcast. But what we do have is news you're not going to easily find anywhere else. My name is Stan R. Mitchell, and I'm a prior Marine infantryman and a guy who spent more than 10 years in the news business. And as a guy who's been deployed overseas and who was a big-time history buff even before that, I care a lot about our military, where they're at, where they might be going, what conflicts might be on the horizon, because these things matter. So if you're a military member, a spouse of a military member, or a parent or grandparent of a military member, this is probably a great show for you to subscribe to. I'll keep you updated on foreign policy issues, but I won't do it like you'll find everywhere else. First of all, the media almost never covers the military or looming hotspots. And if they do, they overhype everything, and they scare you and use lots of B-real video with explosions and flashing graphics. Their biggest desire is eyeballs and ad dollars. I promise you, and you can check the past year of archived editions, I do not overhype, exaggerate, or do any of that. If anything, I almost downplay. It's a steady and calm voice that you'll find here. On the flip side, foreign policy journals that do cover what we do also fall way short, in my opinion. Their articles are far too long, they're far too dense, and they're crammed with big words, technical mumbo-jumbo, and silly acronyms that only insiders even know. I couldn't find a show that met my needs and that met the needs of a large community of Americans, so I decided to create one. Once a week, I'll discuss military matters while also adding in a little motivation, wisdom, and history. Besides covering this news and also trying to build you up and encourage you with plenty of motivation at the end of each episode, I also work as hard as I can to unite this country. Without question, I feel like our wide division and animosity toward those with whom we disagree is the greatest threat our country faces. So once a week, I do my best to bridge this great divide while also reminding each of us that most of us are being played by divisive politicians and broadcast hosts who are ripping apart this great country just so they can reach a higher office or gain more followers and ad dollars. Most Americans are good, and we need to remember this, always. While we face great challenges as a country, America has stood together for more than 240 years, and it's only by pulling our country closer together that we can pass on a better future for our kids. We need to hold and cherish the beliefs that got us here today, beliefs such as patience, kindness, and a strong belief that our best days lie before us. These are the beliefs that got us to this point. And they're also the kind of optimistic beliefs that will get us to a brighter future. And with that out of the way, let's get started. Oh, and if you want to, insert some more really hip, really cool music in your head. Because apparently, that's the only way you can have a successful podcast these days. This is the December 8th edition of The View from the Front. And we're really glad to have you here. In this edition, we'll be discussing a ton of news. And honestly, there's so much of it that I had trouble organizing it. So instead of spending extra time trying to make it perfect as far as what was the most important thing and their relevance, I've just decided to cover more of it. I want to try to get as much in as possible. I have had a super busy week with uh, some doctor's appointments with, uh, mom, with my mom and had some things going on, so I didn't quite get 
as organized as I wanted, and I mentioned that a tad toward the end of the podcast because I've already recorded part of it, but at any rate, I want to give you guys the best I can and as much as I can, so we're just going to immediately get into it. Besides the news, as you know, as the longtime listeners know, I should say, we'll end with uh, motivation and wisdom, which is often the best part of the show, so let's just get started. We're going to begin our show with a ton of news from Russia slash Ukraine. And just as I was starting to record it today, today being Thursday, news broke that um, Brittany Griner, who of course is the uh, WNBA star who's been in prison in Russia for uh, several months now, I believe, is going to be or already in the process of being a swapped for a prisoner exchange with a Russian who is... Um, I don't know a lot about him. They called him the Merchant of Death. He's a guy who's been in U.S. custody for a while. And um, his story was pretty popular back in the day. And I should have researched it better, but all of it was breaking. And I just wanted to make sure I mentioned it so that you were aware of it. Not that you probably wouldn't be already because it's making pretty big news. So if you want to read more about that, definitely find it. I've thrown something in the source notes from an article from the AP. If you haven't seen it yet, you can grab that. But I did want to mention that, and then let's move to the next topic regarding Russia and Ukraine. Also, in case you didn't hear, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky was selected as Time's Person of the Year, which was, I think, absolutely a perfect pick. Uh, They're saying it's Volodymyr Zelensky and, quote, the spirit of Ukraine as one of the most clear-cut selections they've had in memory. That was according to the editor-in-chief at Time magazine. And he said uh, regarding the pick that whether the battle for Ukraine fills one with hope or with fear, the world marched to Volodymyr Zelensky's beat in 2022. And as a reminder, of course, Zelensky was originally a comedian who became a politician. Uh, He was elected to lead Ukraine in 2019. He's obviously worked hard to uh, help save that country from this horrific invasion. Uh, He famously was offered... An escape from Kiev, the capital city, when the Russians were surging south in part of about a three-pronged assault. And he said he didn't need a ride out. He needed more ammunition. And so from that point forward, he's kind of become legendary. All my regular listeners already know this. But uh, I wanted to read one other quote from that Time story and uh, the uh, editor. And it said, For proving that courage can be as contagious as fear... For stirring people and nations to come together in defense of freedom, for reminding the world of the fragility of democracy and of peace, Volodymyr Zelensky and the spirit of Ukraine are Tom's 2022 Person of the Year. So, thought that was pretty cool news. I'm glad they selected him. They definitely should have. As a reminder, in 2021, the person of the year was uh, Elon Musk. And I don't think this year there was anyone even close to possibly beating out Zelensky for that. So definitely wanted to mention that, but also wanted to move to lots of other news. The biggest military news out of the Ukraine war of late is that Ukraine, in a bit of a surprise move, because I don't think anyone saw that they had these capabilities, they struck two different Russian military airfields, which were hundreds of miles away from the Ukrainian border um, caused at least some three Russians killed at least some damage to at least one plane they definitely hit airfields it was hard to see exactly how much damage was actually done I've got several things in the source notes about this Uh, just some overall 
perceptions and thoughts about it. One, it was crazy that Ukraine, that Russia couldn't shoot these, um, you know, missiles down. It's unbelievable that how weak the Russian air defense system is. So that that's one point for sure. I've got a look at what the missiles probably were. They were believed to have used some modified Soviet air uh, recon drones. And there's a name for them, which it's Russian. I can't even really say it. But um, I've got um, Chuck Fair, who's a military analyst. He put on Twitter what these things look like, what their range are, etc. So if you want to see what they probably used, you can see those. And they flew about 600 miles to hit the target. So it's kind of crazy uh, just how far these things went. Uh, it's also important to note that, you know, though some Western media said Ukraine had expanded the war and there was lots of criticism for some of the headlines, uh, a lot of just unbelievable um, replies to the New York Times headlines and some others. But uh just wanted to share just a couple of things on that note. One is uh, this this individual said Ukraine struck an airbase, not a random apartment building in Moscow, which, by the way, it could have. It was within the same range, not electricity infrastructure for civilian populations. They hit a military target. One side is fighting a lawful war. The other is Russia. thought that was a great reply on that thought. Um, another little tidbit from it is um, the Ukrainian government admitted that they were guided by locals and um, essentially so either special forces or some type of, you know, covert spy or some someone helped guide these things in. So that was a pretty big admission. Uh, I've got a couple of things in the source notes about that as well. But so these things flew, launched from Ukrainian territory, flew many hundred miles, were guided by someone probably aiming a laser or something like that. Obviously, the Russians were unable to shoot these things down. So, I've also got a map of how far, how, how far, how far these missiles flew. You can see that in the source notes as well. So, that was a pretty big deal. They hit airfields from which the Russians were launching bombers, which were launching some of these um, long-range missiles and rockets that the Russians have been using. I guess "missile" is the right term, but the Ukrainians were able to hit them back. Not as much damage as they probably would have liked to have created from that. And uh, unfortunately, the Russians will probably move some air defense systems and do a better job of stopping it. Uh, one other interesting and sad thing is that, unfortunately, for those who don't know their history, back in the uh, 90s, there was the Budapest Memorandum. And so Ukraine, as part of that, signed this deal with Russia and the U.S. was involved in it. And they got rid of their nuclear weapons. And they, unfortunately, also got rid of their strategic delivery vehicles, such as bombers and rockets, that would have been helpful in this fight. So they've been kind of disarmed from weapons that they would have probably liked to have. And I'm not talking about nukes here. I'm just talking about some of their more strategic weapons, the long-range um, missiles, the obviously the, the long-range bombers. So they... You know, it's just a good reminder that the old saying is, if you want peace, prepare for war. It's, you know, they made a deal with Russia that we helped encourage them to do in order to buy short-term peace. But long-term, you know, disarmament is against a, a country such as Russia as with a border, you know, that's a neighbor is probably not a good thing. Um, and, and 
I apologize. And Applebaum said that uh, everyone solemnly declaring that Ukraine must become neutral should remember that Ukraine was neutral, that it did disarm, and that this war was the long-term result of that. So I thought that was kind of a, a dead-on comment. Uh, one other comment I saw I wanted to share was uh, an individual on Twitter said, Honestly, I can't get over how Russia is basically allowed to commit genocide on our land, run torture camps, bomb our hospitals, target our energy, our energy so we freeze and starve, but it's escalation if we want to stop their bombers and missile launchers that are literally killing us. And that was written by, obviously, a Ukrainian. So I wanted to share that as well. I um, thought that was pretty dead on the mark. I wanted to make two more small points about the Russian thing and then move to a couple of strategic items and then one small final footnote. So first, if you didn't see that viral photo of that massive pile of Russian rockets that had hit Ukraine's second largest city, Kharkiv, it's almost worth going to source to the source notes for that alone. It has two men standing, two armed uh, police officers, and they're looking at this. They've The residents of Kharkiv have been piling all of the rocket debris from just the rockets themselves into this one collection center. And so you've got two men standing looking at this unbelievable lar unbelievably large pile of rocket um, leftover, like the casings, the, the back of the rockets, the parts that don't explode. And it's literally the size of like several houses together. And you think about the fact that each of these had on the front of them an explosive device that leveled a home or the hit of an apartment building or hit a street or, you know, most of these are, are not very well-guided weapons. And it just kind of puts into context what that one city alone has endured before it was liberated. So I wanted to share that. I wanted to also share a quote from a historian that said this, uh, Every day Putin continues this war, Russia becomes weaker and it will take years, actually decades, to repair. Putin has not had a single victory. He will go down in history as one of the worst leaders of a state in modern times. And I'm only sharing that because there have been some politicians who've talked about what a genius Putin is and that he's a brilliant leader and this and that. I completely disagree with that clearly. And so I'm just sharing that, just a reminder that... Uh, if you look on the ledger right now, I don't think uh, Putin is racking up many wins. His economy is absolutely plummeting. People are fleeing the country. The popularity or the uh, support for the war right now, it dropped from 25% to 16% in one poll. Of course, you can barely take a poll in Russia, but I don't think it takes a lot of uh, pollsters to tell you that uh, Putin is not doing very well as a leader. So wanted to drop that real quick. Now let's talk strategically. There's a couple things I wanted to share. One of them because it involves nukes. You all know my absolute, I usually almost go off the rails at how media has overhyped the nuke thing. But I wanted to share a thread on Twitter from the retired general Mick Ryan. He's obviously a foreign policy guy. He's gone to John Hopkins University School. He's you know, three major general, retired major general. His credentials are pretty impeccable, to say the least. And he wrote this decently long Twitter thread, which I'm at least going to start. I'll see how far I'll get into it. But it makes some really good points about 
what is probably happening in Putin's head right now, which is an important thing for all of us to keep in mind, because the guy does have a lot of nuclear weapons, and he has the capability to do some things and cause some problems, even though his country continues to become weakened. He shares an article that was originally in the BBC about the nuclear risk, and I'm just going to read what uh, retired General Mick Ryan says. First, the headline is the nuclear issue. Putin is walking back some of his more bellicose statements, now claiming that Russia would not use them first. This is positive if he is genuine, but what does this really mean? He is enlarging the corner he has painted himself into with his Ukrainian invasion. Currently, he has minimal strategic room for maneuver. By ruling out nuclear first use, he further reduces any potential for NATO direct intervention in the war. He is also, just slightly, easing back his narrative about the conquest of Ukraine being an existential one for Russia. This gives him some wriggle room down the track should he need it. And he has probably now been presented with modeling from his military that shows the use of a few tactical nuclear weapons would have minimal battlefield impacts, but they would have huge long-term strategic effects for Russia and its neighbors. The second noteworthy statement was that his invasion of Ukraine is a, quote, lengthy process. These words, probably chosen well in advance, are designed for a couple of audiences. The first audience is the Russian population. He is preparing them for other future potential expansions in commitment, possibly including more mobilization phases. And then he says this has been explored in reports from the study of war and critical threats. He has a link to those. Moving along, he continues. Another audience would be Russian military and national security officials, as well as people like the head of Wagner. Of course, Wagner is the private um, military group that has been doing a lot of the fighting, but continuing. He wants to keep them on his side, so Putin is staying, saying that he is in this to win and won't be cutting and running. At least that is his plan at the moment. A third audience is the population of these Western countries who are supporting Ukraine. He is again asking them if high inflation and high energy costs over the long term are worth their support to Ukraine. Finally, he is essentially saying to the governments of Western nations, good luck with keeping your populations on your side with this war in the next couple of years, and good luck with the cost of expanding your munitions production cap capacity to keep up with Ukraine's usage. Now, these comments could have been just spur of the moment mutterings of a tired president, but somehow I doubt it. It again underpins the need for strategic patience from the governments and populations supporting Ukraine over winter and into 2023. And it reinforces the need to provide every bit of support possible to ensure Ukraine emerges victorious from the Russian invasion. So I wanted to share that. I thought there was a lot of insight in that that uh, is, you know, Far well better said than something I could say. And so I definitely wanted to share that. The other thing I wanted to share was that Ben Hodges, who was the former commanding general of the U.S. Army in Europe, he said in an interview with The Economist since our last publication that he believes Ukraine has achieved, quote, an irreversible momentum 
end quote, since the liberation of Kherson. So again, he said an irreversible momentum, meaning it isn't going to stop. And he actually predicted that the country could declare victory against Russia by the summer. So that was obviously pretty big news. I've kind of been saying that, but, you know, I'm, I'm not a four-star general who is in charge of the U.S. Army in Europe. So him saying that is, I would say, a pretty big deal. One final little footnote, and then I think we're going to leave the subject of Ukraine and Russia. I mentioned, I believe it was last week, might have been the one before, about the trenches and cold and wet and all that stuff. And I said, you know, it's mostly men, maybe a few women, but mostly men. And I've forgotten that, and I didn't have anyone correct me, so I'm glad I didn't get any hate mail or anything. But I had forgotten that I never shared something I had seen on Twitter all the way back in October and I wanted to share it today since I, I didn't mention it in an episode then. I had meant to but like it's every week it's hard to find and decide what to cram into each episode but there's actually a um, a female commander and I think her name if I say it right is Lieutenant Lebov Plaksiuk I hope I said that right so she's a battery commander of the 44th separate artillery brigade is what they call her um, unit and I'm sharing three images in the source notes um, just incredible she's standing among the wreckage with like a poncho over her in this rainy dreary horrible looking landscape but there's just wreckage all around that she's standing on the something her military or her, her artillery unit had hit it was a Russian position and then there are several photos that talk about that she joined the Ukrainian army back in 2016 and she was the first woman to command an artillery battery in uh, Ukraine's history. At least this is all written by an artillery uh, enthusiast and at least as far as he can tell she is. And she's in charge of, they call them 2S5 um, high synth 152mm self-propelled howitzers. But they're used by both uh, Russia and Ukraine. So uh, there's a photo of her with them. And before the war, she was actually a history teacher. So if you want to see those inspiring photos, they're in the source notes. But I wanted to put that in because uh, I definitely want to give absolutely as much you know, full credit to all the women who are serving over there and enduring the complete nightmare that is regular you know, combat in any war. Let's move to just a, a couple quick things about that kind of has to do with Ukraine. One, there's been a lot of news of late that the U.S., you know, we've already sent a million artillery rounds to Ukraine and we're starting to run a little low on our strategic reserve. And so there was news this week that we are now going to triple production of artillery rounds. So there was that news. And we're also doubling the ammunition production of those HIMARS rocket, uh, multiple launch rocket system. So those rockets, we're doubling that production. And the other thing I wanted to share about our defense industry is the Air Force unveiled its new B-21 uh, Raider, which kind of looks like a B-2, but it's something that's been secret for a while, the last six months to a year, you'll see things about it on Twitter, but it was finally unveiled. Almost everything about it's classified. You can see photos of it, but they, when they unveiled it, there was some 
kind of crazy lighting no one was allowed to bring in like long lens cameras you could only use certain type of uh, cameras no one was allowed to bring in cell phones so they really kept it uh, tight as far as what the media could show but you can't see a photo of it there's I've got a link to a Washington Post article as well as the US Air Force page um, none of them say a whole lot about the bomber its capabilities its range etc it looks like a giant wing just like the B2 bomber I'm sure it's very stealthy I'm confident it flies further higher faster and all those things so it has been unveiled and I wanted to share one comment from Nolan Peterson and he said uh, just a reminder basically that Russia buys artillery shells from North Korea America makes stuff like this and this being the B-21 Raider so it's kind of my shot at the Russians for this week and um, you know I'm obviously very proud of America and it's incredible that we've developed what I'm confident is an incredible weapon system that's technologically advanced and it's probably got some bugs but they'll work through those I'm confident of that so we're gonna move to China but I gotta throw in my little commercial real quick first just a quick reminder if you love what you're listening to please sign up for email notifications it's free unless you choose to subscribe and support what I'm doing but you can sign up for free at my website stanrmitchell.substack.com again that's stanrmitchell.substack.com from there you can subscribe to the show by email and that'll make sure you never miss any future episodes again that's free i will also say that people are are always asking me on social media how to best support my dreams including getting out future books in some series that they love sooner than what i'm currently doing Believe me, the best way to support me or this show is by signing up for a paid subscription at my Substack page. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. Or you can sign up to support at Patreon. Again, that's Patreon. Or you can also find me on Venmo at author Stan R. Mitchell. Again, that's author Stan R. Mitchell. And I have links to both of those in the source notes or on my Substack page, which again is stanrmitchell.substack.com. Either of those options, if you're wanting to pay, are $5 per month, and you can cancel those at any time. The paid subscriptions provide a recurring monthly revenue, and that $5 a month is the fastest way that I'll be able to return to becoming a full-time author again, which means I'll have more time to write fiction, it'll have, I'll have more time to cover the news even more in-depth, and I'll be able to work even harder to try to unite the country and motivate others. And these are all things that I feel drawn to do, like strongly drawn to do. So, of course, you can also tell people about the podcast, and there's even the option to give a gift subscription to a friend. You guys can also clearly tell people about my books, which many of you are already doing, and I appreciate each and every one of you doing that. But I do want to be very clear here. You don't have to do any of these things. I truly feel called to do this, and I've already had tremendous support from people who've signed up to chip in a few bucks each month. You guys know who you are. I really do appreciate you. So trust me, you can sign up, come and go as you like. If you want to subscribe for a couple of three months, that's great. You can do that. As long as I'm making enough to cover the time I put into doing this show, then I'm not going anywhere. I love highlighting the sacrifices of our military. I love trying to unify the country. I love throwing cold water on these over-the-top exaggerations by extremist politicians and broadcasters. 
And honestly, I love knowing that I'm helping motivate and reach out to people who just need a little extra encouragement each week. So thanks so much for your support. And with all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. There are two big things that I wanted to share about China. First was an unbelievable article in The Economist that talked about what China is about to go through. And the headline of that article was China's failing COVID strategy leaves Xi Jinping with no good options. And the subheadline was loosen up and deaths soar, clamp down and the economy swoons. And I wanted to just summarize that article. It was a very long article and it was an incredible read. And I don't think I fully understand, understood, I should say, the situation in China as far as their COVID um, realities. And I think that's because, one, the COVID stuff has stopped making as much news of late. And two, I assumed that they were mostly in the same boat of the U.S. as far as having a good vaccine, as far as mostly having it under control. And I realized I was quite wrong about that. I knew that, obviously, with the protests the last week or so back, that people are sick of being locked down. I knew they had been doing lockdowns for a long time. What I didn't realize is the precarious situation that they were in and actually why they were doing these lockdowns. And now it kind of all makes sense. So the short of what I wanted to share from that article is that basically China never went through the surges that America did. And that's because they used complete lockdowns. But if you think back, it's been about three years now. We had a bunch of surges in America. We had numerous, you know, you'd see the trend lines go up and we had lots of deaths. You know, we had right at a million people die over a couple year period. And there were several different variants of COVID during that time. Some were more deadly, some were less deadly, but more contagious. We had to build up stockpiles of everything from the oxygen. I mean, you all lived this nightmare. You know what I'm talking about. Obviously, there was political dissent about it. But in America, at least you can have some political dissent. Well, China never went up, went through these surges. So they've never built up immunity and they never rushed out the vaccines. They never really pushed that program. They relied on complete lockdowns. And so they didn't build up a serious vaccine program. So they've been mostly locked down. They have low immunity as a population after three years of mask wearing and, oh, by the way, winter's approaching. So they got no va- no major vaccine program in place. They have a very unhappy, unrestful public, and they're sick of being locked down. Um, China, in fact, from the protests, they actually loosened up in a few cities. But obviously what that means is that the, the coronavirus is going to spread through their populations. So while we've gone through our surges, and we did unfortunately lose a million people, We build up immunity as a population. We have a a good vaccine program for those who want to take it for sure. China doesn't have any of that. And they got some other problems. They got a much weaker hospital system than we do. They are much denser, much denser. They have a billion people. You know this. So they're much denser. And, oh, by the way, they have an older population, which obviously it hits older folks worse than it does younger folks and on top of all that covid now has more infectious variants than it did when we originally dealt with it and so you know honestly they have a a pissed off public they have no good options and they have an economy that's starting to slow down if not crash so you know i kind of 
jokingly said on Twitter after commenting with some friends about the article that, you know, China should stop worrying about Taiwan and start worrying about its own problems. But of course, unfortunately, sometimes leaders want distractions to avoid from internal unrest. So I'm not sure that that necessarily bodes perfectly well for uh, Taiwan in the short term. But, you know, it's it's crazy to think about. But China has a billion people and the economist using its model, even with some of the weaker variants, thinks about 680,000 people could die. And so China's going to have a rough winter. And I think a lot of us in the West aren't fully um, cognizant of, of what that's going to be like for them. Uh, their vaccines do not work, though. And I didn't get into the weeds on why, but our corporations, we did not share, I believe it's the uh, our DNA, um, but one of the first vaccines, they don't have, essentially, China was so stubborn and proud, they thought they could develop their own, and then they didn't. And then they asked for us to transfer it, and we wouldn't. So, essentially, China has vaccines that don't work very well, and they have a, a population that is about to really get hit. One other thing I wanted to share about China was that um, there was an article in Bloomberg that there are the, at least some hints that maybe uh, Xi Jinping doesn't want to follow Putin into complete diplomatic isolation. And um, the article goes into a bit, there's been some overtures that maybe, just maybe, um, they're keeping their options open as far as not completely going down a path that none of us want them to go down to. I have the link to that, by the way, in the source notes, but... Those anti-lockdown protests were a big deal. They did catch the world by surprise. Uh, one podcast I was listening to from a professor was saying that, you know, these protests, they involved university students, they involved regular workers, they involved urban, re- wealthy urban residents, and they were the first serious protests since Tiananmen Square. So this was a wide, like, across-the-population um, protest against the leader of China. And, you know, people were saying down with Xi. Um, so that might have scared him a bit. And so who knows? But um, definitely he's going to have some serious issues on the health front as far as his population in the coming months as winter hits. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I think that's enough on China. Let's move to the next topic. All right, moving along. I want to share a little bit of news about Iran just a brief little thing about Israel, and then a very small thing about uh, Germany. And then we're going to get some cool tech news, and then we'll get to the inspiration and motivation part of the podcast. So on the Iran front, I was listening to a podcast from Corey Shake, and she has an extensive bit of foreign policy background. She's the director of foreign and defense policy at the American Enterprise uh, Institute. She's uh, held several high positions at the U.S. Defense and State Department. She's been on the National Security Council. She was a foreign policy advisor to McCain back in 2008. So she has studied and seen some things. And she was talking about the Iranian government recently. And made some points that I don't think I'd fully considered. First, that the protests have been going on for three months, and the Iranian government has not been able to deal with it yet. So, I think sometimes it's easy to forget, as the days pass and the weeks pass, that that's kind of a big deal, because it's an authoritarian government that can essentially arrest anyone without any reason reason or reasoning, and they can um, 
try you and even execute you without, um, you know, there's no fair trials there. So the government hasn't been able to clamp this down. But she also talked about that besides the fact that it's now extended out to three months, that the neighborhoods are beginning to organize. So before it was, you know, just upset people, but now people are starting to organize. And so there is a bit of optimism that perhaps Iran could, the Iranian people could overthrow their government. But she's a bit pessimistic that the protest will force the government out of power just because so far, at least, the uh, religious regime still has the support of the military, and um, unless the clerics denounce the government or the military turns on the government, she doesn't really see how the Iranian people could win. So I did see a report recently, I think it's about 450 protesters have been um, killed in these uprisings, and the Iranian government did finally... Um, execute the first prisoner and they publicly admitted that so it's definitely dicey over there and you know we're no one's real sure how that's going to work out but it was interesting to think about the fact that this has been going on for three months and if they were to start to organize you know who knows maybe and i think just adding my own personal touch to what i've just shared we recall the iranian missiles that they fired into iraq into the Kurdish part of the areas because the Kurds were arming some of the Iranian people. So if you take all that together, the fact that they did fire those missiles, they're clearly concerned that the Iranian people are starting to arm and organize. So I'm not sure where I am on the optimistic scale, but um, three months is a long time. And um, the people do not like to not have their freedom. So I don't know. Maybe 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 they've got a chance. I think I'm increasingly leaning toward that scale of I, th- I think the Iranian people might succeed. So I, I put myself on a six on the one to ten scale. One being there's no way it succeeds. Ten being they overthrow the people. I think I'm at about six right now. While we're on that topic, I wanted to mention some news from Israel. And because it kind of applies to Iran, but the American military and the Israeli military recently held some joint air drills together, including refueling planes, flying together. And this was kind of an absolute shot at the Iranian government. I'm just going to read. The the headline, by the way, is IDF, which is the Israeli Defense Force, holds joint air drills with U.S. simulating strikes on Iran and proxies. And I read the article, and so we did some air drills with them, obviously. But I want to read the statement from the IDF because this this is pretty much pointed at Iran. The Intelligence Directorate conducted an extensive simulation that replicated a campaign against distant countries, and the IDF said, apparently referring to Iran. This exercise tested the IDF's abilities at gathering intelligence, researching and outlining targets, and making intelligence available to the operational forces These exercises are a key component of the two militaries, of course that being the U.S. and Israel, increasing strategic cooperation in response to shared concerns in the Middle East, particularly those posed by Iran. So there you go. So I'm sharing that because as the uprising continues and as Iran does whatever it's doing with its nuclear program, there was obviously 
before these uprisings. There's lots of increasing tension about that. The There are constant small antagonisms that happen between Iran's navy and ours. There's So I'm just sharing all that because there's definitely the military component of what could or could not happen to Iran in the coming months that um, none of us like to think about. But um, I don't know. I guess I just found it interesting that we are not only doing these drills, but saying out loud what um, Iran needs to think about, which is that um, I don't I don't think Israel wants them to have a nuclear weapon. I'm pretty sure America doesn't, and I'm not sure how far we would go to stop that, but... Um, I don't know. Those are those are public comments. That was a public article, and so that's that's what I would call a pretty ominous statement. That you know, you you pick up these clues, and sometimes months and months later, you see something that you're like, man, maybe I should have paid attention to that. So I hope the Iranian leaders are paying attention to that. So let's move from that to Germany briefly. As I'm sure everyone saw, Germany arrested 25 in some major raids across the country. They were accused of plotting a coup. And I've read a bit about this and a bit of the history of the groups. And I can't really tell how serious or not serious this was. But um, I'm sure more will come out in the coming days and weeks. But there are apparently some planned additional arrests. So we'll keep an eye on that. i got a link to the story, but I'm sure you can find Lots of news on that as well. And as I said earlier, I wanted to make sure I got in some tech news in this edition. And this comes from Task and Purpose, which is obviously a defense publication. And it involves a an encounter that recently happened between an Iranian patrol boat and a U.S. Navy warship. The patrol boat, obviously, um, Iranian small boats have done many things to try to escalate and, and antagonize U.S. naval ships. But this one got within about 150 yards of a uh, Navy ship. And so they, the Iranian boat shined a very bright spotlight at the ship. And so the, the part of the tech news that I wanted to share anyway was that the uh, sailors aboard that ship use something called, uh, and this is something I don't think many of uh, folks are very aware of, but it's a handheld laser system. And I think that technically, they're not naming which one they used, but uh, Task and Purpose is believes anyway that they likely use something called a laser dazzler was a BE Myers Glare LA-9P. And it's a handheld laser system with a range of four kilometers at night or about 1.5 uh you know, or 1,500 meters in daylight. And it so it temporarily, like, overpowers your eyes. It doesn't permanently blind you, so it is allowed in the Geneva Conventions. But I wanted to share that. It's a pretty cool article if you want to go check it out. It shoots out these, like, very bright green um, lasers. And um, probably one of the... Well, I don't, want to, I, want to, I don't want to go quite that far, but at least one of the first articles I've seen where these have been used in a, you know... I don't want to say, you know, combative situation, but at least in a escalatory manner to um, diffuse the situation. So if you want to see that weapon system, see what, a you know, see the photo of what it looks like. It's kind of a crazy looking little fake looking rifle type thing with an aiming type scope on top. And then it's got this big, I'd almost say like, like a barrel about the size of a Coke can, but very long. So maybe like... Um, 
four Coke cans laying down together, connected, that's on top of this fake gun that would shoot out this laser that's apparently pretty bright and certainly disoriented. And um, it, uh, as soon as I read the article, I was thinking about, you know, if you go to a nightclub or a dance club and there's the lasers flashing and everything, it's obviously uh, easy to get disoriented when those things hit your eyes. So I'm sure they've just taken that technology, made it a little bit more powerful so that it has more range, and they've obviously moved it into a weapon system that is allowed under the Geneva Conventions and was recently used. So if you want to see that article, check it out in the source notes. Definitely worth a read and pretty cool photo of what that weapon looks like. Okay, guys, so we will move to the motivation and wisdom part. I wanted to say just real quick, just a short little intro, which I'll probably repeat every week because sometimes it helps to get things to sink in by hearing them repeated. And I know some people think that Motivational quotes are crap, they don't work, and I frankly completely disagree, and one of the things I've always wanted to be was an encourager, and so I want to encourage you as much as I can, obviously, but for those who say that motivational quotes don't work, you know, I went to a rough school, and going to that school, not everyone graduated, not everyone made it out, and certainly not all of them, everyone made it through college or or to where they probably wanted to get in life because it's hard to be around people that don't believe that suck the energy out of you or that are just beaten down by life or poverty or just difficult circumstances, um, whether it's a single parent, etc. But for me, at least, having books that I read, having dreams, having idols that I looked up to, whether it's sports figures or people in history, all of those things helped me. And I know that you guys know this, that if you go to a sales conference or something for like a couple of days or just some type of leadership event or just some type of really on fire type event and you're around positive people, you are just like, show me the wall, I'll run through it. You're just fired up. But then if you go home and there's some family members or friends who don't believe in you and they're like, oh, that won't work or you can't do that, it just immediately sucks the life out of you. So I know that, you know, people say motivation doesn't last, but I think that motivation is something that absolutely can help you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I believe all of us can reach our dreams and I definitely want to do my part to help you get there. So that's why I put these in every week. It's my hope that they really help you. You know, people say motivation doesn't last. Well, neither does bathing. And that's why we recommend it daily. And that's what the great Zig Ziglar said. So that's why I try to put these in every week. So I really hope you get something uh, from them. And with that, let's just get started. As I say every week, I'm just going to read these. I have found all of these from Twitter. So if you want to go to the source notes and if you're on Twitter, you can go obviously to my source notes. Find these accounts that I'm quoting from and follow them for some additional motivation through the week. These are all great accounts to follow. The first one. Be patient. It doesn't happen overnight. That's a great one. Next one. Be more than motivated. Be more than driven. Become literally obsessed to the point where people think you're you're nuts. I should say you're freaking nuts, but that was uh, from uh, prior Navy SEAL David Goggins, and I assure you he did not use the uh, term freaking nuts. He uh, is kind of uh, famous for his cussing and uh, decided not to change the way he spoke as a Navy SEAL, and so if you read his books or his listen to his podcast or his social media, he speaks as uh, 
most Navy SEALs do and most Marines. <laughs> and so I try, I'm, just, I'm trying to clean it up. So I'll read it one more time just because I got a little distracted. Be more than motivated. Be more than driven. Become literally obsessed to the point where people think you're freaking nuts. I will say, if you've not read David Goggins' book, uh, he's got two now. I haven't read the second one yet. But the first one is amazing. I've read it twice. He's uh, just a little unplanned uh, side note about him. He was very overweight. I can't remember if he weighed 270, I believe it was, or 240. I mean, like, incredibly overweight. Couldn't even run a quarter of a mile when he finally, like, got to that point where he'd just had enough. And he started trying to run, and, like, he didn't even make it a quarter of a mile, and he got mad at himself. But he started training, getting in shape, and he eventually ended up going into the Navy and becoming a Navy SEAL. I think it took him three tries to get through Navy uh, SEAL, the the initial training, the Hell Week and all. Um, he's just a story of uh, perseverance. He's an incredible runner now, and um, he actually set the pull-up record in the Guinness Book of World Records. I can't remember if it's 2,000-something. It's a ton. I should have researched this, but I would bet most of you already are aware of David Goggins if you're listening to me, so we'll move to the next one. Forget all the reasons it won't work and believe the one reason that it will. Again, that is, forget all the reasons it won't work and believe the one reason that it will. Next one. Change is inevitable, but personal growth is a choice. Again, that is, change is inevitable, but personal growth is a choice. Next one. I never lose. I either win or I learn. Again, that's, I never lose. I either win or I learn. Next one. It has a beautiful photo, but the subject is be happy right now. And the quote is, don't wait for things to get better. Life will always be complicated. Learn to be happy right now or else you'll run out of time. It's a beautiful one. Next one. Weaknesses are just strengths in the wrong environment. Again, that is weaknesses are just strengths in the wrong environment. That's a bit of a deep one. If you want to pause the podcast and think on that one a bit. I thought about maybe saying some things on that, but I agree with parts of it. I disagree with parts of it. It's definitely a deep one. Let's move to the next one. Discipline today leads to options tomorrow. And actually, this is uh, from Command Sergeant Major uh, Curry. He's uh, still in the Army. I think he just switched commands, actually, but he's constantly posting motivation. Been a uh, great person to follow the past year plus or so. Again, that quote is, Discipline today leads to options tomorrow. So be disciplined. Get out of bed. Do what you're supposed to be doing. Y'all know these things. Next one. It's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. Again, it's not what happens to you. It's what you do about it. Next one. Every day, read something that inspires you. I'm a huge believer in that one. I would not be where I am without all the books I read, especially going through high school. I had a lot of negative influences around me in an inner city school that was pretty rough. And um, reading books and knowing that there were other worlds out there to explore and I didn't have to be trapped in my own circumstances helped me a ton as a young man. And um, finding that kind of... um, you know, I had some mentors in my life and some good influences, certainly, and I certainly had some bad ones. But um, sometimes as a kid, you, you need, you know, you can have the best dad in the world. And then sometimes you you don't want to listen to what dad says. So reading uh, 
and finding leaders in books, whether it was Abraham Lincoln and all these generals I would read about and all, these things like really just ignited this fire in me. So I'm obviously a huge believer in books. Next one, never lose faith. Keep working hard. You'll find a way. I love that one. Never lose faith. Keep working hard. You'll find a way. Next one. If your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. That's a great one. If your ship doesn't come in, swim out to it. Next one. If you love someone, the greatest gift you can give them is your presence. If you love someone, the greatest gift you can give some give them is your presence. That's a great one for sure. And I will say, um, I wasn't sure if I was going to say it or not, but I think I will say it. But um had a brutal doctor's appointment this week. As everyone knows, my mother is going through uh, essentially stage four uh, liver cancer. And I've mentioned that before, that we appreciate all thoughts and prayers. But had a very trying uh, doctor's appointment this week. And, uh, you know, my dad's dealing with some pretty serious memory issues as well. And so, as I told some of my friends and some folks on Twitter, if you uh, have your parents around right now, you should absolutely spend time with them, go love on them, etc. Please heed my advice on that. Okay, let's move on. I always like to end with this one. Be the reason someone smiles. Be the reason someone feels loved and believes in the goodness of people. I always think that's a great one to end with. And with that, thanks for joining us this week on The View from the Front. For those who want to know a little bit more about me, here's the short version. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I left home to join the Marine Corps at the age of 17. I was also crazy enough to demand that the Marine Corps put me down for guaranteed infantry. I served four years in the infantry, saw enough danger to decide I no longer had anything else to prove, and I exited military service in 1999. I earned a degree from the University of Tennessee in journalism and spent 10 plus years in the news business. I worked initially as a reporter, but then went on to start a weekly newspaper. What can I say? Anyone crazy enough to start a weekly newspaper at the age of 27 is probably a dreamer and an optimist, and I confess that I'm both. I owned that weekly newspaper for nine years, from 2004 to 2013, but once it was clear that owning a newspaper wasn't the best path to financial security, I went on to become an author. To date, I've written 11 books, and while I still have my sights set on the tallest peaks in the writing world, I'm now here as well, a once-a-week podcaster who's still in love with both this country and the news. And I see this podcast as a small way to continue serving our country, doing my best to inform and unite us in a time that we're as divided as we've probably been in a hundred years. Well, I've talked enough about me. I really hope you'll consider at least signing up to be a free subscriber. And if you can, consider at some point becoming a paid subscriber. Again, you can do both of these things at my substack, stanrmitchell.substack.com. Again, that's stanrmitchell.substack.com. .substack.com. As a reminder, please be kind and try your best to love your fellow Americans. Let's all work together to unite this country. And also, please try to be a better person each and every day. Try to be kinder on social media and how you interact with others with whom you disagree. And if you've got a dream kicking around in the back of your mind, go after it. If you have that friend or family member that you know you should reach out to who you haven't talked to in a few months, reach out to them. And finally, if you're one of those awesome military folks listening out there, if you need help, please reach out to someone, call a friend or a family member, 
do it for us all. We've lost too many of the greatest folks that this country has produced to suicide. So I'm asking you to be brave once more and show some vulnerability. Take a deep breath, breathe, call a friend or family member, one of your fellow veterans, someone who can help. There's obviously hotline numbers as well that you can call. With that, I appreciate each and every one of you, every tweet, every share, every email that I get. I can't tell you how much those mean to me. Also, if you haven't already put a rating on some of the um, social media places that you listen to us, whether it's Apple Podcasts or some of the others, if you could drop a rating, that'd be great. We're trying to get those up because I've heard if you get them up to 30 or 40, then the algorithms take over. So that'd be a great way to help out. And then finally, let me mention my books because, honestly, the airspace is free. And also, if you're the kind of person who listens to this podcast, they are probably books that would interest you. So I will briefly describe them real quickly. The first series is about a CIA series involving a Marine Scout sniper named Nick Woods. There's four books in that series. I got a fifth one releasing soon. I'm almost done with that, actually. Uh, It's my best-selling series, and not only is it fast-paced and crammed with action, but... Folks say that the uh, main character, Nick Woods, is one of the most real characters they've ever read. He's not some Jason Bourne-like Superman. He's just a hard, tough man who was raised in the old ways. The first book in that series is called Sold Out, and that's obviously because the main character, Nick Woods, gets sold out. I've also got a detective series about a prior Force Recon Marine who becomes a detective. and He moves from a big city, which was Memphis, to a small town, and he learns there's a lot more going on there than you'd think. It's got some organized crime in it, loads of action, a couple of cops die before the end of book one, and if you love that as much as I think you will, there's also a book two. Book one is called Takedown, book two is called Gravel Road, and it may have one of the longest, most grueling hand-to-hand fight scenes you've ever read. I get so much feedback from readers who just say that they are on pins and needles at the end of book two on what is happening and what... um, the prior Force Recon Marine goes through. His name is Danny Akov, by the way. And then I've also got book one of a private investigator series done. It's about an army ranger who's a girl's only hope after she gets abducted and the cops have stopped looking. Uh, There's plenty of action in it as well, and it doesn't hurt that the aunt of the girl um, is hot and she takes part in the chase. So uh, that book is called Hell in the Mountains. And then I've got a couple of realistic war novels. One's about World War II. It's called Soldier On. And I talk about, or I write about the end of World War II, an imaginary situation where the last elements of part of the German army is just trying to survive. They know the war is lost, but they're trapped from, on one side, you know, the advancing American troops, and on the other, uh, Nazi SS units. So it, really, the book is, it's it's pretty deep, and so it, the, it digs into the realities of military leadership, and as these warriors are pushed and pulled through just unbelievable physical torment and mental anguish and will they survive with their honor and dignity and I think you know and I've been told this that soldier on just truly defines what it means to be a soldier to never give up and then I've also got a realistic war novel about Afghanistan it's called Hill 406 it's about a couple of marines who couldn't be more different and they get thrown into an unbelievable combat situation, and it's a situation in which they decide to disobey orders and risk everything in order to save some Marines. Had lots of great feedback about how gritty and realistic that one is from veterans who've served there, which is about the highest honor I could possibly get. Um, and then finally, I've got one other book I wanted to mention just real quickly. And then the final book I mentioned is actually it's a part biography, part self-help 
all-inspiration type book uh, about Barack Obama, but includes absolutely no politics, no left-right issues. It's literally just a non-political look at Obama's rise. And I try to answer questions that many wonder about American presidents, what sets them apart, what qualities allowed them to reach their goals, where others failed, how can you cultivate those qualities in yourself, and... Besides that, I also share some things about him that you may not know, such as, throw out a couple. Did you know that before he ran for the U.S. Senate, he was crushed by a four-term incumbent who beat him by a two-to-one margin? Most people aren't aware of that. He also coached his uh, Sasha's fourth-grade recreational basketball team called the Vipers while president. That was not super well-known. And then also, the craziest thing, as he's known for being a speaker... Did you know that when he started, he actually wasn't even a good speaker? He admits that himself. So I'll talk about several things I've found out about him as I researched him some. And I think it's a great book that'll help inform you and motivate you. Kind of go into how he found his call and how he mastered speaking. How he overcome just so many obstacles, including that huge like two-to-one election defeat that I mentioned above. And it's the first in what I think will be a number of presidential books, assuming they sell well enough. And so... It's the first one will be on him, and the next one will be on a Republican. I've kind of started that one, but I've put it on hold until I try to see what the interest level is on some type of um, series of books such as this. Some folks don't like the political angles, but again, if you can get past the cover and the name, it's not a political angle. It's inspiration. It's self-help type stuff. And so, you know, I think you can learn a lot from presidents and... I could go for on for probably hours, honestly, about how it's crazy some of the people who end up becoming president and the things they do to get there. But again, I won't get into it too much. But that book is called Number 44, The Traits and Characteristics That Carried Barack Obama to the Top. The, how he managed to, with his name, with the background, the mixed background, the lack of money and the ability to beat out the Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton machine and make it to where he was is still just astonishing. I know he isn't liked by everybody, but it's an incredible book, in my humble opinion. So that's called Number 44. You can check that out as well. And I don't think I said this earlier, but you can find all of my books on Amazon. So just go to Amazon and just search for the name Stan R. Mitchell, and you should see a whole list of them. You'll see them all listed, and that's the best place to get them. And that's also why I have to put the R in my name. You'll see there's more than one Stan Mitchell. So way back in the day, I had to do what I never wanted to do, which is put a middle initial in my name, which to me just seems kind of, I don't know, pretentious. But yes, go to Amazon.com, search Stan R. Mitchell, and you will see a list of them. Hey guys, thanks so much. I figure by this point, not a lot of people listen anyway, but for those who are, I will catch you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much, and with that, I am out.